Well, I'm back with another episode of Real Life Broadcasting, and I'm your host, Irvish, and welcome again. Well, on my podcast today, I uh, have Jerry McMillan, uh, who will be continuing on in his teaching in the book of Proverbs, and we're on Lesson 3. And he's still in chapter one. So with that said, here's Jerry. Dinosaur-sized print Bible in front of me. You can open in prayer. Oh, we thank you, Father, for truth, for grace, for light. And uh, we do acknowledge that time passes quickly. And our citizenship is not here in this world, but in heaven. And help us to reflect you empower us to live that way by your spirit and help us to pick up truth as we look at your word for a few minutes in jesus name i pray amen so proverbs chapter one we'll continue on in that <clears throat> some of you may have forgotten what book we're covering <laughs> i wasn't looking at you <laughs> proverbs chapter one um you might recall the first message we considered the fact that Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is one of the key verses of the book. Um, the fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge, and uh, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. And uh, I at that time shared John MacArthur's comment that uh, fear of the Lord is a state of mind when one's attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. I've, I've liked that definition of what the fear of the Lord is. <clears throat> and then we, uh, second message, we looked at the fact that uh, Proverbs is to teach us, but we can also use it to counsel others. And uh, we looked at that uh, little saying I've used for years, they won't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And uh I heard a um, podcast by Scott Jensen recently who uh, <clears throat> had a really good section on communication. And uh, he talked about using questions to build bridges. And I thought that was a good way of expressing that. And <clears throat> a lot of times problems are not resolved by bringing the right answer, but problems are resolved by asking the right questions. And I thought that was, that was good. <clears throat> And part of um, asking the right questions is listening carefully. And uh, some of you may have read The Daily Bread for this morning. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, for those of you who are younger, was a president um, in the 40s. And uh, he was kind of frustrated. He was kind of convinced that uh, people were not really listening to him during the, like a receiving line at a reception or something like that. and. Uh, People, he would shake hands and say something, and they're not listening to me. I know they're not. And um, so he decided to do an experiment one, one day, and uh, he uh, <coughs> said to people as he greeted them and shook their hands, I murdered my grandma this morning. <laughs> and people would say, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's nice. Keep up the good work. <laughs> um, okay. The ambassador from Boliv Bolivia said, I'm sure she deserved it. 
we can laugh at those things, but how often does that, is that true of us? Maybe not so obvious, but uh, <clears throat> we're formulating our response before the other person's even finished speaking. Um, yeah, so asking questions to build bridges, um, letting them know how much we care, because then they will care how much we know. Proverbs chapter one, and we will pick up with verse 10 and go to the end of the chapter. So it's a bit of a long reading, but uh, try and stick with it. <laughs> My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the bait and net in the sight of any bird. But they wait and <clears throat> lie and wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. And in the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn, that will be a word we focus on right there today. Turn to my reproof. Behold, or look, pay attention. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel, did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned my, all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely, and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So verses 22 and 23 are kind of the verses that we'll focus on. Um, they kind of summarize, they do summarize the entire chapter you know, in these two verses. So verses 22 and 23, how long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded, and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing? Fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Verse 22 describes the, uh, the simple-minded, the scoffer, the hater of knowledge. And they're described as being simple-minded. Notice that verse 22 doesn't just mention that they're simple-minded. It's not that they're just simple-minded. They love being simple-minded, and they don't want to change. Verse 23, again, starts with that key word that we will talk about today, turn. So three days from now, three weeks from now, three years from now, you're not going to remember hardly any of this message. That's just the way we are. But if you remember the word turn, um, might be, perhaps that will stick with you for a bit. Turn. Turn to my reproof, turn and, and behold. 
Turn and look. I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my ways, my words known to you. We need to turn. Someone once wisely said, um, Keith might remember this from 200 years ago in Adventure Club. Um, I, I used to use the saying that the sin fascinates, then it uh, assassinates. So we need to, to turn. Turn to my reproof. Listen to me. Listen to instruction. Heed my advice. So a good truth-seeking question is how do I respond to counsel? How do I respond when people seek to give me advice? Do I resist it? Am I stiff-necked or am I flexible and opening to, to hearing it? Turn is a, is a vital word, and uh, the concept of turning is vital to life. And just for the fun of it, um, I never really realized how many different ways the word turn can be used. So you're going you're gonna to jump in and help me here in a little bit. <clears throat> different applications of the word turn. And think about what happens if that thing could not turn. So I'll get, you, I'll get us started. And then I'll see if you can jump in and add a few. Um, things that turn. Wheels turn. What would happen if wheels didn't turn? We'd all be running. <laughs> I got the last one. <laughs> uh, let me think about that. Oh, the hands of a clock turn. Another different application of turning. What would happen if clocks didn't turn? Um, we put a key in a, like a car and we turn it. What would happen if that key did not turn? So obviously, turning is important. You have to run. <laughs> what else turns? Throw something out there. What, what else turns? <laughs> Luke's house. <laughs> the one that he's been trying to get loose for two years. <laughs> yeah. What else? <laughs> Turnip doesn't turn, okay. <laughs> okay, yep. Yep, and if you didn't, if the faucets wouldn't turn on, well, we might get thirsty, right? <clears throat> yeah, the world. Because we would have no days and nights. No. Pages, pages turn. Yep. I thought about 40 different things. I'm not going to go to 40, but a couple more. <laughs> what else turns? Turn the channel. No, yep. the channel didn't turn. We have to watch the Vikings all the time. <laughs> Just checking to see if you're listening, Nancy. <laughs> Our wrists turn. I think if they didn't, hmm. that'd be interesting. Um, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Seasons turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Nancy would like to shut it off. <laughs> yeah. 
you're jumping ahead, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're guaranteed. Nobody can plagiarize. <laughs> no? If well, to hear somebody, I have to turn a listening ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steering wheel turns. That's a good thing, right? If you're driving the Twin Cities with Jerry, you want that steering wheel to turn. <clears throat> Athletes turn, playing soccer, playing football. Yeah. And it goes on and on and on. Um, unfortunately, the fans of the air conditioner are turning at this moment, so it's getting cold in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of things turn. And we could add a lot more to that. But um, <clears throat> so as Linda said, turning spiritually, um, bad things happen if the wheels don't turn. Bad things happen if uh, the fans don't turn. To turn spiritually, turn to my reproof. Imagine the results if we don't turn. Turn from sin. Turn to the Lord, and he says, what, behold, I will pour out my spirit among you. I'll make my word known among you to turn, to pivot, to go from placing confidence in self to placing confidence in the Lord, to repent, to turn. We need to repent leading to salvation. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 talks about the fact that they turned from idols to the living God. So it's a turning there to salvation. And day to day, week to week, turning in repentance as believers, confessing our sin and turning. We need to do an about face, right? Um, repentance, turning from one to the other. Um, we have to be careful with this, but um, turning, acknowledging Jesus as Lord, putting trust in who he is, not making him Lord and trying to earn our salvation and being religious, but acknowledging the fact that he is Lord and living our life accordingly. <laughs> so if we tried hard enough, we can apply the word turn to just about everything. Um, there's one who does not turn. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow or, or turning. And um, there in a nutshell is our hope. Circumstances change. We go through trials. We go through things that we could never have imagined. <clears throat> we go through different types of pain, be it physical, emotional, mental, whatever, things that we never dreamed of. But he does not change when there is our hope. He does not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's the song in the Red Book. Yesterday, today, and forever. <clears throat> He does not change simple faith yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. And it goes on to describe what he did then, what he's doing now, 
He, he does not change. So again, our circumstances change, but our hope is grounded in the one who does not change. So it's against that background of the one who does not change, that being our eternal hope. The fact that God does not turn, there is our hope. And um, we need to turn to the one who does not turn. We need to pivot to the one who does not pivot. We need to go from our fickle self to the one who does not turn. And backing up to verse 10 of Proverbs chapter 1. My son, if sinners entice you, and verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 go on to talk about in some detail how they seek to entice you. One can only wonder how many lives are shattered by disobedience to that, ver that verse. If sinners entice you, do not consent. What does that word entice mean? It's easy to comprehend mentally. I know what it means. <clears throat> but um, to take it deeper than that, to uh, take it to the heart level, <clears throat> my son of sinners entice you, do not consent. We need to take it to the heart level. I like what uh, Warren Wiersbe said. He drew an analogy between physically eating and spiritually eating. Um, we, we physically eat food that needs to digest and be absorbed in the body. Spiritually speaking, we need to take in truth, but then we need to stop and absorb it and meditate on it and, and take it to the heart level. Apparently, there's actually churches in England and Canada where, um, and maybe this has changed since Warren Wiersbe wrote this 30, 40 years ago. But at the end of a message, they would actually have five or 10 minutes of this silence. Nobody would leave. They'd just stay there and absorb it. Um, we Americans are way too fast. We got too many places to go and stuff. But not a bad idea um, at some point. When you're on your run this afternoon, Lisa, you can stop, kind of absorb <laughs> <laughs> absorb the truth. <clears throat> it, it's true, though. We hear truth, but do we deeply engage it? Is it? When we do, we're much more likely to truly understand that verse. If sinners entice you, do not consent. What does the word entice mean? It's not a word that we use very often. To tempt to lure, to deceive, holding out a promise. In the original language, entice was a word related to fishing as, as in a bait. So again, sin fascinates, then it assassinates. We can be enticed by external sources, as Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 talks about. James 1.14 tells us not to be enticed by internal, by our own lust. Do not be enticed by your own lust. James 1.14, <clears throat> each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So to entice, to entice involves a bait. And thinking about bait to be effective in luring its prey, what must, what must be true about a bait? 
Debate must appeal, appeal to appeal and appear to be harmless. The trap must be disguised, which is part of what enticing and bait and luring is. So it's by nature deceitful. The bait has to appeal to the baited. And obviously you're drawing the spiritual analogies here. Any fisher, any hunter, any trapper would be fully aware of that. Um, the bait has to appeal to the baited. And the second point is that the bait must appear to be harmless. It's got to be a reward to it. There's got to be something involved that um, would appeal to the baited. Sin fascinates, then it assassinates. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1 talk about, look at all the money we're going to get. We're all going to have one purse. We're going to get rich. There, there's the reward. They're, they're, they're presenting it like they're sure of it. It's going to happen. So bait is a, appears promising. The enticing appears promising. So the word entice is sugar-coated, but in, at the core, it's sinisterly evil um, to entice to draw in, to lure. Because that is the nature of being enticed. That's the nature of being lured. We need to be, be careful. We need to be aware. We need to um, be accountable to others. Stepped on the scale at the gym a few days ago. I'm not overweight, but I didn't like the direction that thing was going. Um, hmm, too, much, too many all-you-can-eat buffets lately. <clears throat> so... Not a big deal, but catch it early. And spiritually, the same is true, too. Being accountable. Encouraging one another. Seeking counsel. Being open to counsel. Because bait and being enticed is deceitful. Consider the ways that you are prone to being enticed for a minute. The external baits, the internal baits. What seems harmless? What do we rationalize to make it seem harmless? What do we consciously or unconsciously find rewarding? I, I can't answer that question for you. But search your hearts and ask the question. Maybe that enticement is anger and it hardens into bitterness. But it's kind of, it's kind of satisfying in a fleshly way. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's manipulating others. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's who you associate with. We all know it's true. If you hang around with bozos, you become a bozo. Um, and as I was thinking about that, <clears throat> I wonder if a lot of times the enticement is not so much what we do, but what we passively don't do. Um, we're not spending time in the word. We're not praying. We're not, uh, we're being apathetic. We're being complacent. So whatever your enticement may be, may appear harmless. It appears to offer a reward. But remember, there, there's always a hook in the bait, right? There's always a hook. Always. We do well to practice that, uh, word for today, turn, when we're in that situation. 
There are a couple benches down by the river in the shade where I like to read. And it's a nice quiet spot away from all the hustle and bustle, away from all the traffic. It seems like about four times out of five when I go there, the local lawn mowing service shows up with the riding lawnmower, with the push lawnmower, with the weed trimmer. There's three different guys and they're mowing all around. The grass is about that long. Shatters my silence. <clears throat> so I figured it out one day. Um, they just mowed yesterday. I'm good. Sit down, relax, take it easy, start to read my book. And about six, six inches in front of me, the guy's water sprinkler turns on. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't good. <laughs> okay, you're one ahead. <laughs> but think about that. We're going through life. Things are going pretty good. We kind of drop our guard. We're complacent, we're apathetic. And uh, for every person, every one person that can handle adversity, you know, how's it go? It's Chuck Chuck's window, how's it same. For every one person who can, every hundred people who can handle adversity, only one person can handle things going well because we, we drift. <clears throat> That's a paraphrase, sorry, Chuck's window. <laughs> but, uh, so being aware, being alert, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. And at times we are wise to think about things ahead of time. Hmm, what could happen in this situation? What could happen? And how would I respond in this kind of situation? I, I still shudder to think of a situation I encountered decades ago now where all of a sudden I'm put in a very tempting situation. Oh, I, I'm glad that the Lord has compelled me to immediately turn and leave. Um, so... Just think about sometimes foresight is wise. I'm going here, I'm going there. I've, I'm seeing this problem develop in my life. Um, what do I need to be doing? So, so to keep it simple, I like simple one-syllable words for, for Lisa. <laughs> Quite a while ago, we talked about, I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> that was, yeah. Dwell, right? Remember that? We talked about dwelling quite some time ago. Um, to dwell. To spend time with the Lord. That, that guy in the cooler out in the woods spent all afternoon. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever good repute. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on those things. And then just after the new year and I did something really stupid at work and I had to remember that I need to think first. So we're tempted to do something. Hopefully we've been proactive and we've been dwelling on truth, but still temptations are going to come along. That water sprinkler is going to turn on. We need to think first before we respond. And often we need to turn, right? Turn. <clears throat> As I've been preparing this message for the last, three or four weeks, they came back to me quite often. Terry, turn. Um, so don't say what you're going to say. Don't think what you're going to think. Don't do what you're going to think about doing. 
put, put the Lord first. Moving on to um, verses 10 through 14, 11 through 14. How dark is the darkness that sinners walk in? I think sometimes we maybe lose track of how dark the darkness is. Proverbs 117, God says the birds have more sense, more foresight than those who refuse to fear the Lord. It's useless to spread a baited net in sight of any bird. They get it. They, they see what's coming. They, 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 they will avoid it. They have enough sense to avoid the net. Yet, as we see in verses 16 and 18, the feet of sinners run to evil. They ambush their own lives. How dark is the darkness? God reminds us in First John chapter two, verse eleven, to keep a realistic perspective on what to expect from one who rejects the Lord, one who rejects the light. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. We do well to recall how dark the darkness is as we rub shoulders with the, the world that's in darkness. It is only the Lord's light that can transform. Verses 20 through 24. Uh, this note the assertiveness and the persistency of God, wisdom, seeking the sinner lost in darkness. Wisdom shouts in the street, not just once, but continually. Wisdom lifts her voice, not just once, but continually. Wisdom cries out, not just once, but repeatedly. Wisdom utters her sayings, not just once, but repeatedly. Wisdom stretches out her hand, not just once, but repeatedly. It's an ongoing process. The love of God <coughs> seeking the, the sinner. Wisdom is continually saying, turn. Um, turn, the lawn mowing service is coming, turn, the water sprinkler is going to be turning on, turn. And there's a, ver there's a sense of urgency in that need for turning. Verse 28 tells us that there's a point in life that if we keep refusing the Lord's prompting, if we persist in hating knowledge and persist in not choosing the fear of the Lord, then as it says in verse 28, there's a time when the heart's calloused. And from a human perspective, anyways, it's too late to turn. It's a dangerous thing to know, to see, to understand a need to turn and refuse to do it. Um, Charlie Pfizer, you might recall, gave a series of messages on searing the conscience. It's a dangerous place. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that sometimes... Sin is often not what we don't do. And verses 24, 25, 32, no one paid attention. Many neglected all my counsel. Many are wayward and directionless. Many are complacent and lazy and careless and indifferent. And verses 31, 32 brings out the reason kind of summarizes some things. So they shall eat the, way of the, the fruit of their own waywardness and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of the fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me 
shall live securely. He who turns and be at ease from the dread of evil. So the need to turn. Um, some of you may know a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley, um, Charles Stanley's son, I believe. Anyways, he's telling a story from his youth of uh, out driving with a friend one evening. And uh, they come across this construction area. And uh, there's a, this big sign, road closed. But they see that they can get around that. And they see that it's nicely surfaced, so it's about ready to be open. So why not uh, use it as a racetrack? See how fast we can go. And <clears throat> so he drives around the road closed sign. What should he have done? Yeah, turn. <laughs> um, and they're having a great time seeing how fast they can make that 1970s car go. And uh, faster and faster and faster. And uh, what they don't know is, you can probably take a guess, there's a bridge missing, <laughs> um, not too far down the road. <clears throat> and uh, a good Samaritan was able to get their attention and pull them over and get them stopped and probably, probably save their life. And uh, spiritually speaking, yeah, we can go down that racetrack and, uh, and there's a bridge missing without the Lord. <clears throat> so, and think back to uh, 1976, long time ago, um, my senior year in school and quiet. <laughs> uh, I kept a kind of a journal, got a yearbook that I purchased and had all kinds of little questions and that just supposed to fill out. And I, <clears throat> different than an annual book, just a, something else, kind of a diary type thing. And uh, <clears throat> I cringe, absolutely cringe when I read what I wrote in those days, long before I knew Jesus long before I had an anchor, little if any truth, naive, neglecting God's word, the opposite of Proverbs chapter one, verses one through eight, um, <clears throat> the absolute opposite. Pretending to be what I thought others wanted me to be. Um, that's a dangerous place to be. Proverbs, 29, 25 says, the fear of the Lord, fear of the man brings a snare, but you trust in the Lord will be exalted. <clears throat> so dangerous place to be. <clears throat> in many cases, what I wrote was incredibly shallow. My life was uh, spiraling downwards, situational ethics. No, like, it's okay to do this because of that. No, no, no. Um, we know better now. But um, And what I wrote was artificial, no doubt could have been enticed in many ways by sinners, not listening to, to God's word. So by grace, we are eternally secure, but we need to be careful to walk in the light. We need to make sure that our paths are in the right direction. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent, do not go down that path. So a few closing remarks um, intended somewhat for the younger people, <laughs> but uh, certainly for all of us. 
younger people tend to be prone to trying, like I was in 1976, pretending to be somebody other than <clears throat> what I should be and trying to please people. And younger people tend to develop their relationship with Jesus at a young age. They're taking that baton from their parents and saying, yeah, I'll run with this. Or they're saying, no, I'm going to leave it sit there. It's often in youth that we make decisions that affect our lives, that set a direction as a twig is bent so that the branch grows. In youth and beyond, we make lifestyle choices about how we care for our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In youth and beyond, we make lifestyle choices that affect uh, us spiritually. Maybe it's immorality, maybe it's unforgiveness, which harden as we age. And, and lead to that spiritual darkness. <clears throat> so especially to people, how, how young do you have to be to be younger, Lisa? Can you give me, can you give me some advice here? <laughs> but for the younger people, whatever that age is, and it applies to all of us, obviously, um, we uh, need to look, we need to think, we need to watch out for being enticed. And Solomon, after writing all the things about truth and walking in truth at the end of his life, um, reaches a point where he's tried everything, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, right? And uh, it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. And uh, he comes to the, the conclusion that um, in the end, fear God and obey his commandments. So to, uh, Put the Lord first. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Um, and it, simple, to, to make it simple, um, right? So try and remember this in the days and the weeks to come. Take that time to dwell, to absorb truth. Before you get into those situations, to start the day with truth, to... Uh, Philippians 4.8, to dwell on that which is true and honorable and right and lovely and good and pure, the person of Jesus. And as you go through day and that truth starts to erode in your life, to take that time to think the situation through, go back to what you were dwelling on. And when you need to, turn, right? Um, turn, listen to my reproof. Behold, I will pour my spirit out on you. I will make my word known to you. If we could uh, close. We just thank you, Father, for, <clears throat> for truth, things that are true and honorable and lovely and good, the person of your son, Jesus. And we, <clears throat> as we shared during the first hour, acknowledge our brokenness, our inadequacy, our insufficiency, and acknowledge you as the one we need to turn to. And help us to examine our lives, to look at what we're enticed by. Maybe something is increasing, and we need to... Be sure that we turn before we go, go hit that bridge that's not there. I, I pray for that. and Help us to be wise in our discernment. Help us to be a, a light to that darkness, which is horrific in the world around us. I pray for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.